Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact podcast, episode 33. And today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, professionally speaking, uh, but also one of my favorite methods for making an impact while making an income. As someone who has been in the nonprofit world for a long time, there's clearly a lot of things that I feel very mission-driven about and a lot of change that I want to see in the world. But in the last couple of years, I think that I've really come to realize and understand that one of my biggest passions, and I honestly think my mission for life is showing people, well, first of all, revolutionizing the way that we view and pay the impact makers of the world. I, You know, the people with the most amount of empathy, the people who are actually like making a difference in the world and in the lives of other people. So, I mean, your nonprofit people, teachers, therapists, social workers, like the list goes on and on. Um, They are just disproportionately paid for the kind of work that they do and the impact that they put out in the world. And so one of my biggest things is trying to figure out how we can completely revolutionize and turn upside down the way that we view and pay those professions um, and also arm and equip people with ways to actually start making the money that they damn well deserve. And speaking is one of my favorite ways to do that. This is something that I dabbled with, um, obviously starting with operational loan a long time ago. And as you know, time progressed, and as 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 my career with operational loan went on, so did people who would start slightly asking me, um, "Oh, like, but do you have a speaking fee? You know, do you have something that it's more formal in booking?" And that's really a couple years ago when I realized that I could actually make some money and make a living doing something like speaking. Granted, 2020 threw a curveball for all of us, but it, this is just one of my favorite methods that anyone can do and anyone can be good at it. Even if you think that public speaking is really scary, I promise you that anyone could become a public speaker if you try hard enough and you you set all the right you know, path for yourself. And so I wanted to talk to someone who, like Jake White, also ironically um, is a UW Oshkosh alum. He is a nonprofit founder who kind of switched it into being a social enterprise um, and is also a really great established speaker now living in Arizona. So I was really excited to talk to him about how he's been able to kind of kick his career off going from founding a nonprofit to being uh, this really big paid speaker and particularly in the education field. So I was really excited that he was able to sit down with me and kind of talk people through the foundation of starting their own speaking career. I think it'll be so exciting and so helpful for people to kind of lay that groundwork. And also I want people to leave this episode understanding that like, yes, you, the person who put this in your earbuds while you were like taking a walk today, uh, can also be a paid speaker and get paid for the knowledge that you have to share with the world. Or with that said, two quick announcements. Number one, 
Speaking of nonprofits, it is Operation Not Alone's birthday this week, which is so crazy. Operation Alone is turning eight years old this week on January 22nd. Someone pointed out that that would mean it's the equivalent of a third grader, and I'm not okay with that fact because, wow. Um, To celebrate, we're doing something kind of fun and different this year. We're doing something called Give a Gift, Get a Gift. So for a minimum of a $15 donation, you can have one piece of anything either from the Ona shop, so all of our traditional Ona branded merchandise, so t-shirts, ball caps, uh, winter knit hats, coffee mugs, what have you, Um, or you can also choose something from the Ona boutique. Keep in mind that our Make an Impact necklaces have sold out, but we still do have the Future is Female um, and all of our our t-shirt and our top lines from there as well. So a $15 donation, this is only available through January 22nd. Um, yeah, for a $15 donation, you get to choose one of anything from either of those shops. So give a gift of a small donation to us, get a gift in return of something super um, empowering, impactful, or if you just want to like rep the Ona mission because you love it so much. Uh, we love that too. <laughs> uh, number two, I have to say this every time because it is so, 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 so important please leave a review. If you are listening to this episode and you find value in it at any given point, and I know that you will, so that was a trick question. If you find value from this interview with Jake from anything that's been happening in the podcast, I need you to pause. I need you to go leave a review. I need you to hit that little five-star button. I cannot stress to you enough how much it is so helpful. And like, this is where the success of the show (laughs) really comes into play. Uh, Please, 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 please. Um, Or like share it on social media. Share it on your Instagram stories. Let people know what you're listening to. Let them know that this is a really good place to get nonprofit information. Um, It helps beyond words. I can't even tell you. So if you find value in it, know that that's like your payment to me. Just hitting a little five stars. It takes like 10 seconds. So anyway, okay, I've harped that enough. Now let's get to the good stuff, which is how to build your speaking career with Jake White. Jake, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the podcast? My name is Jake White, and I'm a professional speaker. I speak to young people on the topic of drugs, alcohol, and vaping. Uh, I actually show them how to throw massive parties without any drugs or alcohol. And more recently, uh, I've been invited to help other speakers launch their businesses and grow their audiences online using digital marketing, websites, things like that. Um, And I always think this is super fun because you were my second or third guest like this, um, who also went to UW Oshkosh, which is where we originally met, which I always think is kind of a a fun plug for a very like small to medium-sized school um, and not known very well across the country, but so many cool people come out of it, which I always think is really fun. So, um, but you're not in Oshkosh anymore. Where are you living now? No, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And honestly, you know, I loved Oshkosh. It was hard to leave, um, but I realized that kind of like in your comfort zone, um, I felt so comfortable in Oshkosh. I loved it so much. It was time when I did leave for Phoenix that I just needed to do something new while I didn't have kids or anything like that. Yeah, 
I feel that for sure. <laughs> um, but at UW Oshkosh, so because you and I had a very small overlap, I think I was a freshman or sophomore when you graduated. So you were always the kind of person, especially because you're tall and you're charismatic and outgoing. Like I always saw you in a crowd and you were very easy to pick out <laughs> when I was just like a freshman. Um, but you started Party.0 at Oshkosh. So tell us all about that, how it got started, why you wanted to do it, because um, it's grown quite a bit today. Right, yeah, so for, for the audience members that don't know, Party.0 is a platform I developed at UW Oshkosh, like Susan said, and it's to give students a place where they can come hang out, make friends, and have fun without any drugs or alcohol. And we started by doing like house parties. So getting an off-campus house, uh, packing it with a DJ, some games, some sponsors, all that good stuff, and hundreds of, hundreds of students just coming there and having fun. Uh, but it didn't, it definitely did not start like that. <laughs> um, like most great things, it starts with a complaint. And my complaint was, hey, here I am, this student, and I don't want to drink, I don't want to use drugs. And it seems like that's what everybody else wants to do. So I had to find out what was going to be my way of having fun and connecting with people because I wasn't meeting anybody like myself. And I actually spent, I don't know if you know this, Susan, I spent two years on campus and you know how outgoing I am. I was mm -hmm. meeting everybody on campus <laughs> and not a single person told me that they didn't drink or they didn't use drugs. And I thought it's so interesting, but on another hand, I'm like, well, this is college. Everyone does. I'm the only one who's sober. So it was a while until I read this statistic that it said that 30% of students on college campuses across the nation are just like me. They don't drink, don't use drugs. And I remember thinking, this stat is not true. <laughs> like it's either the stat is a lie or everybody out here is like hiding under a rock, all the other sober people. So I, I kind of got to thinking about it and realized as outgoing as I am, meeting everybody, I didn't, I didn't offer this information to people because I knew it would make me feel excluded. Uh, I wouldn't get invited to do things. People would judge me and think I was, you know, boring, arrogant, or over-religious or whatever other labels came with that. Um, so I got to thinking, you know what, they, maybe this stat is true. And if it is, they're probably aching for a place to go just like I am so that we can have fun in an environment where we don't feel pressured all the time, where we don't feel weird for declining a drink um, and as you know, in Wisconsin, or I, it seems like <laughs> we're in the Midwest, like if you don't do that, you, you're really weird. Like there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. uh, so feeling like that on the weekends around hundreds of people wasn't cool. So that was kind of my motive behind it is I wanted to create a solution for my problem. I knew maybe there was other people out there who might have the same problem and I was going to just give it a shot. Um, so my friend Steve and I basically just partnered up um, with a notebook and a pen. We roamed around campus meeting people and inviting them to a house party that did not serve alcohol. <laughs> and that day, um, I remember we met 129 people. And out of 129, only nine people said no to us. Nine people said no. We were flipping out like, oh my God. <laughs> That's pretty incredible for a, for a stat that said only 30 people, 30% 30 of people didn't drink. Yes. It yeah. It was absolutely insane. 
and we were thinking like, all right, this is another one of those, like they're pranking us or they, you know, they just didn't know how to say no. And they wrote down a phony phone number, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, we, we had some numbers on a piece of paper though. So we had to try it and we threw our first party um, to our surprise, 85 of those 120 people showed up to an apartment. Um, we gave them the worst party experience of their life. Uh, <laughs> terrible. I remember the biggest, uh, the biggest talking point at our party is we had grape and cherry Kool-Aid and uh, they called us the Kool-Aid party from that week on. Mm. And cause that was the only thing good about it. The rest was terrible and they left within like 30 minutes. Mm. Um, so we just got thinking we, we either need to get good at this or stop telling people that we want to throw these parties. So uh, long story short, went a couple months trying out these parties and we got it down. Um, we partnered with some fraternities, got bigger houses. We got sponsors like Pizza Hut, and Red Bull and Chick-fil-A and Subway and Somnia Cookies, all these brands that students love and um, just got it down to a system and hundreds of students were showing up, having an amazing time hanging out with their friends in a safe environment. And other, I was blogging about this in my journalism class. Mm-hmm. And other students from across the country were saying, hey, I want to know how to do this. This is so cool. Um, some of them were sober like me. Some of them weren't. But they saw the idea as, as like something that was needed at their school too. And so that's how this idea was born. That's how I became an entrepreneur um, and started this what all led to my speaking career and all this other great stuff that happened. Yeah, I love that. I think it's really funny because definitely, and you know, I'm not trying to say anything bad, but you know, Wisconsin particularly has a very large drinking culture that they're very proud of and, and particularly Oshkosh as well. I mean, it doesn't have the cutest nickname in the world, but I remember <laughs> being the person who didn't like drinking and didn't like going to parties. So I used to bring like a water bottle that I would act like it was filled with something, but it was just water so that I didn't have to get kind of singled out. Um, like what you're talking about. Can I ask a quick question? Um, you know, when you, when you tell people that you're sober, particularly on a college campus, like do people just immediately have a negative connotation to that? Like I always think people yeah, that the connotation is, you know, something tragic must have happened that now makes you sober or you had these terrible experiences. So now you have to like be this way, almost like you're serving a penance. Did you get that vibe or no? Yes, absolutely. Um, and that's why I learned not to, to talk about it mm-hmm. uh, because it would make you, it's, it creates a divide. Here I am. I love drinking. It's part of my Wisconsin heritage, my college experience. And you're saying you don't do it, which which I think what it does, it divides us because this person then becomes insecure about what they're doing. And that's what I saw the most um, is I was out having fun all the time every weekend. And so I was hanging out with people who were choosing to drink. And a lot of my time was spent making them feel okay about their decision. Mm. And it it was kind of frustrating because it's like, Hey, here we are both trying to have a good time. I'm doing it without you're doing it with, but I didn't come to a bar to judge everyone in it. Like Mm. that wouldn't be fun for me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think, and initially it does, it's like, Hey, what happened to you to make you this way? Is it okay if I'm drinking, do you look down on me? Are you judging me? So all these things come into a person's brain when we're different. Um, And it's, if you think about it now with diets, it's probably the same Mm -hmm. thing. Oh, I'm a vegetarian. 
oh, do you think I'm, I'm mean because I, I eat meat? Like mm-hmm. the same insecurities when we have differences. Um, but at the end of the day, that's kind of the lessons that I need to, to learn going through college is how do I make other people feel comfortable mm-hmm. um, with that? And so for me, it was like a slight joke, you know, like I, sometimes I wouldn't tell people I was sober. I would just say, hey, I'm not actually drinking tonight. Mm. they can assume that I drink every other night but you know maybe I have a test tomorrow or you know I wasn't feeling good so it's it's left unanswered and I Mm -hmm. wouldn't have to spend my entire night justifying one decision that I made that makes me different Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting because but on the flip side I've seen women try and do that where it's you know either the phrase is I'm not drinking tonight or I'm not drinking right now and then the immediate follow-up question is like oh so are you pregnant because yep. that is like the only way that they're, that they're like, oh, that would make sense. Why? <laughs> if there's a small group, like time of window, time. Yeah. Exactly. a small window of time. Yeah. It's, it's so silly. Um, but it's yes. funny. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you're eating a burger next to a vegan and you're like, is this okay? Are you mad at me? Are you judging me? Yeah. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, um, but Party Point Out turned into a full nonprofit organization. Is that correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you did something similar with your company, but I went through, I did kind of the shark tank competition at UWO had won some funding, um, and was part of the, the entrepreneurship center there, which was awesome. Um, and what my plan was, I would, I would run it as a nonprofit mm-hmm. and, um, I did that model for a couple years. Um, and it worked well. So yeah, I don't run it that way now, but. I ran it that way for a while. Uh, it served a great purpose, got a lot of people involved in the organization. That's kind of where it started, was at UWO, ran it as a nonprofit for a while. And then when speaking was introduced, I realized the model wasn't really consistent with what I was going for. So I ended up changing it. Mm-hmm. So what was that you know, decision to, so I'm assuming now it's a for-profit model. So what was that kind of decision and how did you go about changing it from a nonprofit to a for-profit and what kind of challenges did that incur making that transition? Yeah. So basically you have to view it as, as if you're starting a new entity and this new entity is going to purchase the assets of your old one. So the nonprofit, you have to dissolve it. You have to make sure that all the funds you were given are used for the mission that you raised them for. Um, so since ours is about prevention, using all those funds for prevention, and then you're starting a new organization from scratch, and in which case I bought the, um, the logo, the name, the trademark, all that from the old company and brought it over to the new one. Um, but the, the short answer is that if somebody's out there doing that, you need a CPA uh, to help you and give you real advice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because <laughs> um, that's something that... Um, could get you in a lot of trouble if you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely like the safe, the safe bet is to get someone uh, who does that an accountant or CPA, maybe even a lawyer. If you know somebody to, to bounce that off of, because they'll tell you exactly what to do. For sure. And I think that's really hard because, and correct, find some real help for that because I just did this with uh, some con compensation conversations and I couldn't it was one of the few things where I could not google my way to that answer because every also because every state operates differently so I finally had to find like a nonprofit lawyer and I was like what is the actual rule here <laughs> and what are these differences um so because yeah you could get 
in a lot of legal trouble if you don't take those those steps properly. So um, that's definitely a good tip. So let's transition. You so you now have a, a speaking career. Is that kind of your dominant career, speaking, and also the websites that you build for other speakers to kind of help them get booked? Yes. So that's mm-hmm. what I do full time um, for my business, and that that takes care of me financially. Is mm-hmm. speaking, speaking and helping other speakers because uh, you know before COVID it was just speaking and I actually didn't I didn't offer my help all the time I was very busy speaking mm-hmm. uh, but when things went virtual um, I pivoted and I do some virtual things but I'm not in love with it mm-hmm. uh, I am in love with the speaking industry and when things are live and in person um, it's kind of one of those things where it's like I can't believe I get paid to do this um, so what made me feel that same way though is helping other speakers with their digital marketing or launching their business um, that also gives me that feeling like oh my god i can't believe i get to help people do this so um, doing less virtual um, and then more helping others get started and and now's a good time i guess mm-hmm. people are working on their goals they know life is going to get back to normal we have a vaccine now uh it's looking hopeful so Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm staying positive. <laughs> yeah. Like the day we get to do in-person events again, everyone is just going to be like on cloud nine. <laughs> It'll yeah. be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, a, Hey, a 2020 pivot, something that was in all of our, all of our bags this year. So let's talk about, and also I think it's funny because I think that's very common in the speaker community is just that sentence, but that very true, genuine sentiment of, I can't believe I get paid to do this. It's a very cool career. It's a very cool way to make money, kind of a unique way to make money. So let's, let's talk about that. How would someone go about creating a speaker career who is either starting from scratch or they have absolutely no idea what that entails and they're like i think i would be good at this i think that sounds fun and nice like i could do that where how can someone create this career that's that's an awesome question and i actually get asked this a lot um Mm -hmm. it's a really cool career and there's a lot of opportunity out there like if you're whether you're speaking to companies or in the education market to schools uh to nonprofits, organizations like there is so much demand one person could never do it all. A hundred, a thousand people can't do it all. So there's just so much out there that people need help with. And it also goes into coaching and consulting. And maybe you're authoring a book or selling products. Like speaking fits into all these things and becomes this like amazing lead generation tool as well as a way to get paid. So um, I love this question. I get asked a lot, but basically when it comes down to it, what you need, number one, is you need to select very carefully your topic and your target buyer not your target audience who you speak to but your target buyer so um whatever it is that you're passionate about you know pretend that you have 45 seconds to live and you've got that to impart your wisdom on somebody um to say here's what i learned in life here's what's important for you to know like imagine that kind of importance uh that you feel so entitled to share with people that can help them um That's the message you want to take to an audience, to your clients. Um, But then also matching that with what are people buying right now? Um, Because I know a lot of people who have their signature story. Like, hey, I need to tell this story because, you know, I feel like God gave it to me and it can help so many people. And that is extremely powerful. But in order to get paid for it, you have to find out what buyers are out there 
ready to take it and how they're going to use it. Mm -hmm. um, so find out that, that target buyer and then your topic or your niche that you're going to speak about. Um, that'd be the first thing that you'd want to do. And then I would even, I started like this and I know a lot of great people that, that do is once you have that, you need to validate it, make sure it's actually true. It's not just in your head, but uh, the market thinks so too. So interview a couple of your target buyers asking about their experience. Would they buy this? What would they want to see with it? Um, ask them if they're already hiring people like that. What's good about the people they've worked with? Uh, what would they change about those experiences? What could be improved? Because that's going to give you a leg up. Um, and maybe even those interviews, a lot of times those interviews turns into your first paid engagements. Um, or if you need a few unpaid to get some testimonials, um, then you can move from there. And that's my last step is you need to actually do your talk uh, mm -hmm. and probably do it for free a few times um, so that you have testimonials and then you can, you can create your marketing materials, um, mm -hmm. but get that validation first. Um, then you can work on your marketing materials, which is what you need to actually get paid as a speaker. But we did this in a couple months, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a year long process or a couple years like people make it out to be. Um, I went from zero engagements to 35 engagements in a year with like a full-time income. So it, it can be done. It, it has been done quite a bit. You just have to know, you have to find somebody who did it and have them teach you. <laughs> right. I, I love that. Cause that is a huge jump in one year to get 35 paid gigs. Like that's incredible. We know that you're strong and empowered. We know that you want to make an incredible impact on this world. And thankfully, there's an online boutique for you to represent that message every day. The Ona Boutique has two lines of t-shirts and engraved gold bar necklaces to remind you that you're capable of incredible impact on this world. And the proceeds benefit Operation Not Alone, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit supporting our troops, veterans, and mental health initiatives all across the country. Head to theonaboutique.com to shop their collections and get free shipping with the code IMPACT. That's the O-N-A boutique.com and use code IMPACT. I want to I ask you a follow-up to something you just said uh, that I think is very important, whether it is in starting a company, in starting a nonprofit, but I think especially in becoming a speaker, I would like you to impart some wisdom on anyone listening right now who's thinking, oh, that already exists. They don't need me or my voice in that because I think it's so easy for people, especially in the speaking industry, like you and I, okay, right? We both went to UW Oshkosh. We started nonprofits in college. Now we're speakers. It's easy to say like, oh, Jake already does that. Why does the world need me to be a speaker too? Or why would I get paid like that too? So to anyone who kind of does that in their own head, can you impart some wisdom? <laughs> to like stop that thought process. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's, that's such a good thing to emphasize. And mm -hmm. here's why you're, you're right. Uh, here's why that thinking is, is flawed is because what is there? 7 billion people in the world right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. And we live in a very diverse world. So the fact is, even the fact that I'm a speaker or I'm helping people with digital marketing, there are some people out there who do not like me. They're not going to resonate with me. And that's totally fine because there are other people out there who probably are capable of doing exactly what I'm doing 
and you'd much rather work with them because you resonate with them. And so think about your business as, you know, there's these pockets of people around the entire world and there's a certain percentage of them who want to work with you. Like if they knew about what you did, they would take you up on it. But there are certain people who they just don't want to be taught, coached, or work with somebody like you. They're going to go with someone else. And those are your competitors. So you just need to have, you need to work on making sure that everybody that you can within that possible niche that you're targeting knows about you. So the right ones can click on you, can buy you, can buy your time, your expertise, all of those things. Um, and I also like looking at it from a generational standpoint is like, um, of course I'm gonna blank on like some names, but like Susan, do you have a speaker that you look up to or somebody that you like? Oh yeah, I have a lot. Um, but in the female world, I love Jess Ekstrom, who's the founder of Headbands of Hope and author of Chase on, Chasing the Bright Side. Um, she's a fantastic speaker. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. So here's the amazing thing is Jess Ekstrom has probably got, you know, she's going to work her magic for 30, 40 years. And there's going to be a time when she's done. And that we're going to need a new Jess Ekstrom in the world that's going to be just as big as her. Like that's the insane thing that they can take over her like share of the market. And if somebody doesn't, then it's going to be divided into all these people. And what's amazing is that just actually, because she's so big, there's also people who aren't working with her because maybe they can't afford her. They need somebody a little bit lower cost. Um, Maybe some that they actually want to pay more than her. You know, they actually want to hire a just extra, but somebody who's going to do all the work for them. Mm-hmm. And there are those people out there. So there's just, there's so many variations and needs in the market that if someone else has your story, that's okay. The, that they're, they're crazy if they don't even help you build your business. Um, what I like to do with my friends is if my friends get me a gig, I give them a commission because yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's the hardest part. I want to incentivize people selling me because I know mm-hmm. they can't take all the gigs themselves. I know they can't. So if they hire, if they get me a gig, I want to reward them for that. And that's the kind of posture that exists in the speaker community. Um, Cause we know who's worth their salt, who isn't, who's professional, who isn't. And we all know where we started and that if you, if you work the system and do it right, you can, you can become a successful speaker uh, quickly if you put in the work. Mm-hmm. I love that you do that. It's something, so Jess also, um, I am obsessed with her for sure. If you don't know who she is, go follow her. Um, but she also started, she did a huge course called the Mic Drop Workshop to help teach uh, specifically women how to get into speaking careers and breaking into that industry. And one of those things, she, a tactic she talked about for sales was what you just said and calling them speaker sisters. So you have like one pretty on par person who is like a similar audience to you, a similar kind of topic that you can always refer at the end of those speeches. So you can do commissions, you can do just, you know, like a a goodwill, like I'm going to recommend you to 10 people, you recommend me to 10 people. So I love that you kind of follow that same model too, because that, I mean, for anything, that's the best way to get booked or sold for anything, right? It's just like a trusted person being like, hey, you should also look at this person. Right, absolutely. And you're not the only one. Um, right now, I think I'm, help- I'm launching three female speakers right now with their online presence. And two of them have both mentioned Jess uh, and then <laughs> the program. So I love I, that. 
That's so cool. She's powerhouse woman. <laughs> oh, absolutely. She is. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about maybe in your speaking career, a real standout talk that you've done, whether it was someone who like came up to you afterwards or like DM'd you afterwards that just, you know, like you really resonate with them. Um, do you have one particular talk that's like rocked your speaker world? <laughs> Let's see. I, it's hard for me to single out one, mm-hmm. uh, but I will tell you that this happens almost every time and I love it. It, it feeds me. Like <laughs> It gets me through the, the, the not so sexy parts of speaking, you know, <laughs> with the, the plane rides and the hotel stays and the stuff that seems glamorous and it totally is not, um, is when afterwards a student will come up to me and thank me for coming to their school because they feel pressured by their friends to start using. And, and this is specific to my topic, but um, this happens a lot where they say, you gave me the confidence to be myself to say that I don't need any of that stuff to be who I am. Uh, and I don't have to conform or fit into what they want because, you know, I can stand out and just be me. And I think that's so powerful because I, I contribute my success to standing out. There's nothing special about me. Um, I'm not a smart person. Uh, it's just that I'm really okay being me in front of a lot of people. And that's afforded me a lot of luxuries in life and a lot of purpose uh, and fun. And so when somebody tells me that, and it happens, you know, often, it really lights me up because uh, I see a little bit of me inside them. And it's, I know that that could create a lot of success for them. I think that's so cool because that's like the rawest form of inspiration because it's not like, oh, you inspired me to do this or start this. It's like, you just inspired me to, that it's okay to actually just be who I am. I think that's a, that's a very raw and very powerful form of inspiration. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah. And oh, I love that. The, the best part then, right, like you had said, like action is whenever I'm done with the speech and they're the student who wants to throw parties, that's, of course, you know, that's amazing. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of when I get to tell my client, hey, this was a home run because you actually had students in your audience who are going to keep my message alive and influence their peers, which is the best case scenario. Um, but that, that's one of the things that I don't promise. And that's another thing for anybody out there who's speaking um, is under promise over deliver. Mm, so yeah. I, never, I never promise that's going to happen. But when it does, that is, man, they, they might have paid me thousands of dollars to be there. But that, that outcome is worth $10,000 because they have a, a student run campaign that lasts throughout the entire year, maybe more, you know, if they, they pass it on. So um, that's, Susan, if you, if you're to gauge it, like, yeah, there's the mm-hmm. feedback that's about them individually and, and building them up. And then there's actually the action that takes place. And that's, that's really important too, though. Yeah. I mean, Hey, that's a ripple effect that could be worth millions of dollars. I mean, I still yeah. have like one liners from speeches I heard as like a sophomore in high school that have like, st- you know, like that's a ripple effect worth so wow. much. Um, funny. Okay. Question. What do you think is more effective and what do you prefer either giving or listening to if they're different of uh, funny keynotes or like emotional keynotes? Like you feel like choked up. Wow. What's your I preference? Like, I don't like being sad. So I want the funny one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I felt like uh, that would be your answer. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do feel like that's my style too. Um, mm-hmm. 
the audience laughs a lot when I'm on stage because I'm just goofy and weird. And that's part of my personality. Um, but it is something that I'm working on though, because I, here's the benefits of each. The funny ones, the audience loves it and they have a lot of fun. Uh, the experience is so rich. The emotional one, it is remembered far longer. Uh, mm. It kind of sticks with, it's like a scar, right? Like the, the pain hurts you, the emotional, um, you know, that reaction, it hurts you and it leaves a scar, but um, you know, maybe a good one that you were influenced by that and you've got a good message because it made you cry or uh, it made you feel something that you're not used to feeling. So I think there's like a line, the best speakers have both, they do it really good. I don't mm -hmm. think that I'm there yet. I have to develop the emotional side, um, but I, I got the humor down uh, pretty well. And I love, I love hearing the humor one um, and giving it. So yeah, it just be being transparent with you. Like that's, for me, that's my area of growth is I need to learn how to be like really vulnerable with an audience and create that same experience for them that I had. Mm. Uh, that's the art side of it. There's the business side of speaking and there's the art of speaking. Um, and you, you need both to be the best, but you got to learn sure. it. Well, and I think both it can be hard with, with delivery because even for the emotional side, like you can get super emotional and no one's picking it up and they're like, okay, like now this like person's like on stage crying and now we're all uncomfortable. Or, yeah. I mean, the greatest comedians of all time, like still will go on stage and bomb a joke, you know, like there's always that the risk and reward of it whatever method you're going like not landing correctly for the audience so nope. yeah i just thought that would be kind of interesting um yep. consequently opposite side what is your biggest pet peeve when you are watching a speaker on stage or on zoom i guess for this year <laughs> yeah i think one of my biggest pet peeves is definitely when they skip a piece of the intro so like when you're setting up the speech for your audience, if they forget to sell the audience and say, hey, here's why this matters to you, it doesn't matter. The next 40 minutes are so unbearable because you're wondering, how does this apply to me? When am I gonna use it? Why are you even telling me this? What, you know, like, what does it matter? What's in it for me? Um, these questions are left unanswered and so, yeah, I can't get over it when, when somebody mm. leaves that out. Um, so just, yeah, that, that intro piece. And maybe a second one for just the pet peeve that happens a lot. Uh, and it's only because I've learned not to do this is when you thank people for having you in the beginning, it's a, it's a classy move, but it's terrible for the audience because you only have seven seconds to capture their attention and you just wasted it by saying, hey, thanks, Bob, for having me. And you didn't jump into a story or you didn't jump into a stat that would rock their brains and engage them. And since you didn't engage them in the beginning, then it's harder to engage them the more you go on and on and on. So I always leave my thank yous at the end. Mm. Um, and that's kind of a little pet peeve is, is when people do it right at the beginning. Yeah, that's totally fair. And it's hard because especially if, you know, if you're like new to being paid and like, that's like the part you're jazzed about, but it's not the part that the audience is jazzed about because they don't know or care if you were paid to be there or not. Um, uh, totally fair. Okay. So let's quickly talk. Okay. So I have a couple of things as we kind of wrap up here. So if someone, and it doesn't have to be necessarily 
who is in the nonprofit field that's coming over. But if someone is just looking to become a paid speaker, um, you know, maybe they've given some, some free talks, you know, like churches, rotary clubs, school, you know, that kind of fun stuff. Now they're looking at getting paid. What is the first thing that they need to do to pivot into a paid model? You need, you need a professional website. And I say that because every business that's professional has a website. Um, it's kind of a red flag if you don't. You know, imagine, imagine trying to charge someone $500 for a product that they haven't seen or that doesn't have a, a, a way for you to look at it. What I have seen is, because I'm kind of in between, you know, is it a demo video or is it a website? But I've seen a lot of my peers um, that are able to get gigs with a good landing page or, you know, one page website and get started so they can build up their demo, uh, their testimonials, things like that. Um, whereas if you have a video, but nowhere to take them for that experience, uh, then it's harder to get paid unless it's just a standout demo. But if you were at that point, you would have a website anyway. So I think that that's why I say instead of a demo, you, you need that website to get the paid engagement for you to hire the, the videographer to take your video and do that kind of stuff. Um, and if for just a tip for anybody out there, like there are platforms out there for you to build your website um, at a very low cost. And if you do need help with it or recommendations, let me know. I'm happy to steer you in the right direction. Uh, it's going to take you probably 20 to 60 hours of your time. So if you have the time to spare, build it yourself, do that good stuff. Um, if you don't work with somebody else, have them do it. Uh, again, there's affordable people everywhere. Um, and you just have to look for what's, what's going to work for you. Um, but if you do not have a website, it's kind of like you can't expect to be paid like a business if you, you don't look like a business. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to people who, and I think this is much more like a, a younger generation thing at the moment, um, who are more using like their social media channels as their quote portfolio. So maybe there's like little speaking clips on there or like every, you know, like everything is targeted at their Instagram or every, you know, um, so they think they don't need a website because they're like, well, I have this big social profile. Like, why do I, what would you say to that? Or like, you know, is that maybe like the new trend is just really fleshing out a crazy social media strategy? I would say until, until Instagram becomes a platform where you can pay on it or the social media platforms become something where you're comfortable paying money and we're talking hundreds and thousands of dollars is it can work for a t-shirt. It can work for maybe a photograph session, something for $250 or less. But when you're thinking about your buyer which are those are the people who are choosing to pay you. You have to think like them, not like you. Mm. So for them to trust you with thousands of dollars and to say, you're not a risk, you need to have these things in place. And to me, social media can't do that. They can be your portfolio for sure. But when you're asking someone to pay you multiple thousands of dollars for a service, expect you to fly across the country, maybe, uh, or use technology and equipment. If you, if you look like you can't use that stuff because you can't have a website, you can't build one, or you can't um, have these systems in place, then it's just, it's furthering the thing in their mind, which is this person's a risk. They're, they're not a sure thing. Everybody loves a sure bet, the 100% guarantee. So if you're 
marketing materials don't pro says maybe you're a risk, then no one's going to buy that from you, uh, especially at a high price point like a speaker. So that's my take on it. And maybe it'll change um, as the capabilities of these social media platforms, as they buy out other people in the industry, that it becomes an all-encompassing platform. Maybe that could happen. Um, but from what I'm seeing, the well-paid speakers uh, in education market and in different industries is no one's paying with a credit card anyway. They're writing checks, so they're not using those platforms to buy. Um, mm. So it makes it a little more complicated, confusing, and it makes it seem risky. That is fantastic advice because I see a lot of people trying to like forego websites or just thinking, you know, that their LinkedIn, their Instagram, whatever is going to be enough to, to seem bookable. So I think that was fantastic advice. Have you ever negotiated, um, you know, if you were in a contract negotiation, have you ever successfully gotten yourself up into a larger bracket, a larger speaking fee with a client? And if so, how did you do that? And what was kind of, you know, that key messaging behind um, advocating for yourself for more money? I have done that. And I will say that I did it by adding more value. Mm -hmm. um, so what's really nice about, you know, some people differ on this and I'm not like a, a hard nosed person. If somebody wants to spend 10 grand on a speaker and says that's our budget and they think that I'm worth 10 grand, um, that's great. I will absolutely charge 10 grand, but I'm not there yet. So I tend to take the factor of here's what I believe I am worth. If, you know, and I always put myself a little higher, you know, if I'm, I, I think I'm a $5,000 speaker, but what I want to do is I want to wow the audience or the, the buyer. And so they recommend me to their friends. So I'm only charging $2,500 per speech. And that way they say, wow, this was the best $2,500 I've ever spent in my life. So that's how I do my pricing and other people do mm. it differently. But I always want to provide more value, you know, get them talking and saying amazing things about me. Um, so whenever I, I, you know, I had a 12 grand contract, it was, okay, now that we're working together in this capacity, what else can I offer you? Um, do you want to do some online modules? Do you want to use my curriculum? Um, are there other schools in your district? Maybe we can partner with. And I can even squish my price because you're giving me, you know, seven or eight gigs. Uh, and that's what they ended up doing. Mm. Uh, so my biggest contract was for, you know, $12,000 for a school district um, to work with them in, in more capacity. Um, but with that said, when you, when you try to fit or just for the same product, just to go up because that's what their budget is, I'm kind of like, all right. If it feels good for you, if you think you can bring that much value, go ahead and do it. But if you think you might be risking it and like kind of worry like, oh man, now I have to come up with a $10,000 speech. <laughs> right. um, so I'm sure there'll be a time in my life when I get there. But for right now, it's just, yes, add more value, sell more things, find out more way to help them. I love it. Um, so what do you see, particularly as we come into 2021, as we hopefully are seeing some of the end of virtual events or just like strictly Zoom speaking, um, what do you see as some of the couple of future speaking trends that are coming up? You know, I think that, and maybe this is because I started doing it, <laughs> but I think audience engagement is becoming a necessity. Um, and that means that like, right, your presentation might include video. Um, it might include 
a dynamic PowerPoint slide, things moving instead of the old like point and look and read off the slides and stuff. Um, but more even that is like games, you know, mm -hmm. play a game with the audience, toss around a microphone to get them talking, uh, working in small groups. Like I did a gamification version of my talks and students loved it. Administration loves it. People are asking for it. And then what's really nice though, is sometimes I even was on a sales call to school who said, we don't even want a speaker. We just like, and I said, okay, what do you, what do you want? And they didn't know. So I wrote them a proposal with a bunch of games I made up to relate to my material and the lessons. And they bought that for the same exact fee as my speech. Mm. So I get to go to the school and play games for two hours and hang out with students and I get paid the same. Um, so that's something that's showing me like, all right, the market is, they're seeing that a speech can be done online. It can be done different ways. It can be packaged in short videos. So looking for different ways to engage their audience. Um, and I think because the virtual world, we've been living in the virtual world for a year now and people are seeing its capacity. I think speaking is going to go back to in-person, but at the same time, you'll be you'll be able to sell more virtual programs because they want to stay in touch with you and reinforce your message and continue teaching throughout the year and they can't afford to do it in person. So they'll buy your video program or they'll buy a zoom call or training every quarter or things mm -hmm. like that. Uh, so I think that's where it's moving is there just going to be a lot of add on things you can do as a speaker to boost your income and your impact beyond just the stage. I love that Jake. I think that this has been so helpful, even for people who don't necessarily want to become like a fully fledged, like full-time speaker. I still think that it's a great way, you know, to gain an audience, do more marketing, show so many different dynamic pieces to your business, your organization, because um, speakers are always needed all the time for everything, even for the topics that you don't even think of. So I think this was so helpful for people. How can people find you, connect with you, um, chat with you after this is over if they have more questions? Yeah, you can always send me an email um, at jakeaveryWhite at gmail.com. Um, I give my personal one because that's the one where all they, they funnel to. Uh, but if you want to talk and check out my work um, for anybody who's looking for uh, websites or digital marketing help, or maybe you want a free consultation, just want me to look at your stuff and see if you can use speaking to grow your business or anything like that. Um, it's marketingforspeakers.com. Mm. Uh, so just check that out on all the channels and, you know, online too. And we'll be happy to, to help you out and see, like, I, I love this work because I get to meet awesome people like you, Susan, and your audience, which I'm sure is filled with awesome entrepreneurs and, you know, change makers. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. Again, this is like the, the giddy feeling I get on stage is I get it connecting with you. So mm -hmm. I'd say don't hesitate to um, check me out and send me a line through social media or on marketingforspeakers.com. Yeah. Again, I mean, I, I think this is a fun thing too, because first of all, you never know what kind of connections you're going to get when you reach out. And second of all, um, if you guys can't tell already, Jake is again, a very charismatic, very fun, very nice guy, great person to reach out to. But again, you and I hadn't spoken since... 2013 2014 and then you like reached out on linkedin and now here we are for this so um you right. never know how these how these pivots are going to happen so never be afraid to reach out but again marketingforspeakers.com check out jake and uh yeah let's all get let's all get paid for sharing our messages huh 
<laughs> right? I know. Get paid to practice. Get paid to impact people. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.